Hi, Neil Warren here again, and welcome to another episode of the Happy Hour Harmonica podcast. With more interviews with some of the finest harmonica players around today. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and also check out the Spotify playlist where some of the tracks discussed during the interviews can be heard. A quick word from my sponsor now, the Lone Wolf Blues Company, makers of effects pedals, microphones and more, designed for harmonica. Remember, when you want control over your tone, you want Lone Wolf. Rod Piazza develops his exciting brand of West Coast jump harmonica in Southern California where he formed his own band before joining forces with George Harmonica Smith to form Bacon Fat, Two Hearts, What a Sound. Rod has an extensive discography, both as a solo artist and also with his long-term band, The Mighty Flyers, alongside his wife, Honey. Rod talks us through his evergreen career and how he has burned it up on stage for so many years. Rob Piazza, thank you very much for joining me today. Oh man, my pleasure, Neil. Thank you. You grew up in Southern California. What was the music scene like when you were growing up and your sort of influences when you were younger? The first influences were the blues and R&B records that my older brothers brought home. And and then from there, the LPs, the blues LPs that I kind of got turned on to from uh, hearing a few songs on the radio or records of my brothers and pursuing it farther and farther into the blues idiom. That was my first education, I would say. And then the second education would have been after we had already been playing and had a couple records out. My introduction to the black uh, community of Los Angeles Watts area and all the great blues men who had moved to Southern California and lived and played down in uh, Los Angeles through George Smith. He introduced me to that whole scene. And T-Bone Walker, Pee Wee Creighton, Big Mama Thornton, Eddie Vincent, Joe Turner, Roy Brown, on and on and on. And that's just in the SoCal area. You had Lowell Folsom, too. Uh, all these artists, you know. And then up in the Bay Area, there were more who had migrated out to Southern California. I was lucky enough to be in bands with half of these people and, and back them up on shows if I wasn't in their band, you know. I think you started playing guitar first, yeah? Um, you had a guitar bought for you when you were 10 years old, is that right? Yeah, uh bought a guitar off a lady selling them on the street. And uh, I think it was 4 or $5, and I cried enough to get my mom and my brother to walk back down the street where she was and buy me a guitar, and I started on that. I didn't play no harp until my brother took me to see Jimmy Reed and uh, introduced me on the break to him and said, this young man is trying to play guitar. And I said, well, he needed a harmonica to go with it, and he handed me one of his old harmonicas. So started fooling around with that and then eventually bought some harmonicas. And when I got in the first group, they had guys playing guitar better than me, and they taught me to blow harp and sing. So that was the end of the guitar. But so your first harmonica was a harmonica given to you by Jimmy Reed. Yeah, <laughs> that's a pretty awesome first harmonica. These early recordings that you listened to, do you remember if there was any particular inspiration for harmonica? The Jimmy Reed album, Best of Jimmy Reed. 
Slim Harpo, Scratch My Back, God Love If You Want It, uh, anything that you would hear on the, that was an AM hit out here, uh, those things kind of piqued my interest. From there, I've got the Sonny Boy William record, and then uh, this cat that had a little music store, and he told me, say, man, do you know Little Walter? I said, no. And he said, uh, here's the best of Little Walter when he gave me that record then i pretty much forgot about everybody else you formed your first band at high school yeah they were called the mystics and you were uh singing and playing yeah. with those yeah that band was the mystics and then it became the same band became the house of dbs dirty blue sound and then we uh got a record deal and got a manager in hollywood and uh he changed the name to the Dirty Blues Band, and we recorded for ABC Bluesways. We were the only white act they had. They had Otis Band and T-Bone Walker and uh, several people, George Smith, uh, and uh, they signed us. I guess they thought we would sell some some uh, blues to young white uh, hippies or whatever, you know, because we all had long hair, and we, we were trying to play. We were just learning, you know. Got, I think I've got both those albums. Stone Dirt uh, was one, wasn't it? And then the Dirty Blues Band. Some great raw tracks in there, some great playing by yourself on there. I think you developed a good a good sound by that stage. I think I was uh, about 18 when I did the first record and uh, about 19, if that, when I did the second one. We were just lucky to have a record deal and happy to have somebody recording us and putting us on some shows. Yeah, great. So so from a very young age then, you, you were doing music as a full-time job. Yeah, trying to be. That isn't to say that I didn't have to work a day job on different things to uh, supplement the income, you know. But we were certainly trying at at that age to get ahead and, uh, you know, make it in music. I knew that's all I want to do. And then you met George Shomonica Smith. By that time, a lot of the guys had went into the Army, and uh, I had just formed the Rod Piazza Blues Band then when I teamed up with George. We went by uh, the Ash Grove. Uh, Big Mama Thornton was going to start playing, and they were uh, rehearsing that night. It was closed, but George Smith was standing outside, and uh, I talked to him and asked him if I could come by the house sometime and learn something on the harmonica, and he said, yeah, sure. He didn't have much to say, and, and that was the first meeting. I don't know if it was six months or a year or two months, I don't recall how long back. I went to see who was called Big Walter was supposed to be playing there. So I drove down to the Ash Grove to see who we thought was Big Walter. It turned out to be Big Walter Smith, George Smith. He called me up on the bandstand to play, and I was so intimidated. I did the best I could, and he looked at me and said, okay, he can get around on the little harp a little bit. Then he made me take the chromatic and try to do something on that. I hadn't been playing the chromatic but a little bit, and uh, he realized I could barely get around on it, so he let me sit back down, and, and that was it. I thanked him after the night, and he didn't even look up. He just said, okay. A few months after that, I was opening the show for Holland Wolf there for a week, 
Mike and George was playing with Wolf. Wolf would hire George sometimes to blow harp with him on tour. George came up on my set, and now I handed him the harp, and he sat in with me, and we did that all week long. And, man, we tore it up together, and George said at the end of the week, look, Rod, I got to go on the road with, with Wolf for a month. Do you want to? I want you to start a band with me with two harps. I said, two harps? He said, yeah, that's what we're going to do. And I said, okay. And he says, I'll call you. I figured he'd never call me. And he got back off the road a couple months, so I got a phone call. Rod? Yeah. George Smith. Oh, oh, hey, hey, George. How you doing? Yeah, you ready to work? Uh, yeah. For people listening, Bacon Fat, a great band. You know, it's a, it's a treat for harmonica fans to have two harmonicas. I think you came out with, uh, was it two or three albums with Bacon Fat? Uh, we did one. Then we went on a tour to England in 1970 for Mike Vernon, you know, Blue Horizon. He he had saw us opening for Paul Butterfield over at the Golden Bear down in Huntington. And he signed he signed my band. He said, I want to do a record on you. He had just lost sleep with Mac. They went to Warner Brothers. So I said, well, can you do one on George Smith, too? And he says, yeah. So we did No Time for Jive with George. He brought us over in 70 to tour. And we recorded a few more songs over there while in England, and he put that out on a Tough Dude record. George Smith obviously had a, had a big influence on you, and you, you played with him for a good few years. Did he particularly tell you how much about how to play the harp, or was it just a case of playing with him and picking up from uh, from listening to him, playing along with him? We both had the same harmonicas. We played the same harmonicas out of the bag and uh, and the same amp, same microphone. I would play half the set, and then I'd sit down and I'd watch him play, and he'd look at me and give me looks. And I, I would try my best to figure out why in the hell does it sound different and why is it so much better when he's playing than when I'm playing. And when I would get back up, he would walk by the bandstand and look at me if I was doing something and kind of like give me a oh yeah or a mmm. And then he would grab my hands and squeeze them around the microphone so I could get a better tone, you know. And, and uh, he'd force me to pick up the chromatic harp more than I would have. So I ended up playing it, you know, every two or three songs. So I was able to advance on that instrument as well as a small harp pretty quick. One of the songs, the, the tribute to George Smith song that you do, yeah, you, you talk about George on there. And So yeah, it's a great song. I also hear George was quite a performer on stage as well. Yeah, he did some crazy things on stage. Is that something you tried to emulate as well? Well, it, it started, we were playing the, uh, George used to go out in the crowd all the time. He had a long chord, you know, and uh, he would go out on the crowd uh, on the last song of the set. And so one night we were playing and George told me, say, okay, Rod, tonight now we're both going out in the crowd. I got another 20 foot chord. And I said, no, George, that's your thing, man. You know, he goes, no, you're going out. We're going to go out on each side of the stage and we'll meet in the middle out there and we'll upset the club. And, uh, that's what I did that night, and then after that, I started doing it on my own, and eventually I got a wireless, 
and hooked it up to the harmonica mic somehow and uh and uh started using the wireless for the harmonica. I was the first guy that did that and then Albert King he came along and asked me how how what wireless what what how how you doing that and this and that and I showed him all that stuff. He said that Keith Richard told him how, but really it was this little harmonica player Rod Piazza that showed it to him. Brilliant, yeah, yeah. Then that's quite a that's quite a common trick now. The harmonica player isn't it? you know to walk out in the in the in the crowd with a harmonica like this, but quite often with a wireless microphone. So you you think maybe you were the start of that, you and George at least. I'd say George Smith was the start of it, and I, I I know that George's mom told me that when George was in Chicago, him and Walter would would do some stuff like that, you know. And uh, certainly there was guitar players who did it. So I I can only tell you from uh, the era that I came up in, I I was the only harp player using a wireless to go out there. I had never seen nobody else do it. So you mentioned Little Walter, who's a you know, uh, obviously an influence to every every blues harmonica player. Anything particular about Little Walter, or you know, the songs that inspire you from Little Walter? Yeah, I, I love the fact that Walter had the swing jazz uh, saxophone influence yeah. on his playing, the way he phrased and the way he constructed his lines, and and the fact that he he had songs that weren't just your average three-chord blues song. Uh, I mean, take a song like Too Late. Or Who Told You? Or One Chance With You? I mean, I Walter had all these great songs, man, that were really great blues songs and, and way, uh, way uh, different from the standard three-chord blues. Uh, not that they had a lot of different changes in them, but uh, they were just constructed in a way that, man, there were, they were so many great songs there. And then you had that, that swing and double shuffle, we called it, that Belo would play, you know, which was a, a sort of a march, but uh, it was a more of a swing and beat, which enabled the harmonica to be more free without the backbeat on two and four and allowed you to construct the type of phrasing and lines that were so open and uh, available if you had the uh, if you had the content in your head and your heart and your soul to put into your harmonica so interesting you're talking about trying to emulate the sound of saxophones and that's something that is talked about with little walter quite a lot that he, you know the the tried to emulate the sounds of saxophones that's more in your phrasing is it rather than the actual tone of the harmonica that you're doing that and were you, you know, did you listen to a lot of saxophone players yourself to try and emulate the sort of lines that saxophone players play? Yeah, uh, quite a bit. Louis Jordan, Gene Ammons, Red Prysock, so many of them. That I love Ben Webster, and I love all the, all their playing. I know when I first got with George Smith, I was still playing some Sonny Boy stuff, and uh, George would walk by the bandstand and tell me, Rod, blow your axe, play your axe, man, play your axe. He didn't want me to do the sort of wah-wah harmonica effect. He wanted me to play it like an instrument, like a saxophone, and play it like a horn. 
obviously that's where Walter was headed. I know Dave Myers, he used to come see me play all the time when I'd go to Chicago. And he told me, he said, Rod, you know, Gene Ammons would come down to the club where we was playing me and Walter. And, uh, he would sit in with us and he goes, Walter's records were okay, Rod, but you should have heard when him and Gene Ammons was jamming on, on a live set. And I, oh man, I would have given anything to hear that. To me, the acoustic harmonica didn't really turn me on a great deal. That that amplified horn sound with the microphone and the box, you know, that really was what moved me. Talking through more some of your albums, you, you've got a, a great long list of uh, released albums. It's great to see. So your first album came out in 1967 with a Dirty Blues Band. Then you started, obviously you did Baker Fats, we talked about. Then you started releasing some albums under your own name. I think Blues Man was the, the first album you released under your own name in 1973. And then you formed some of the Mighty Flyers, which is, this has been your, your band since uh, 1980. But you kept some solo albums as well during the time with the Mighty Flyers, didn't you? What what was the what's been the different emphasis between when you're playing with the Mighty Flyers and when you did your solo albums? The Mighty Flyers had a manager. The band as a whole was more interested in trying to make a hit record and get a worthwhile record deal and be able to advance in the in the business. Yeah. The solo records I did I was only concerned in playing what I loved and what I had started out to do and what I always wanted to be, which was just a blues man. That's not to say that it didn't change in 1991, I believe, when I signed with Blacktop. Then it was was more back to uh, just pursuing the blues. But I think that gives us a nice difference with your albums, isn't it? We've got the more sort of heavily blues-centric albums. And when you're playing with the Mighty Flies, you know, it's more boogie, you know, it's more kind of faster up-tempo jive-jumping sort of music, which works great with your harp as well. I think your last album, um, Emergency Situation, is 2014. Uh, other than the uh, the live album at Fleetwoods that was put out by Big Mo, recorded in... Uh, 94 that just came out last year a year before uh, uh, but certainly the last stu studio record was emergency situation are you planning on releasing any more albums i did a live recording down at uh, tampa bay blues festival in florida for chuck ross down there he did a, a live recording me and kim wilson tribute to little walter he hasn't been able to clear it to get it put out so I'm thinking about having him sell it to Ripcat Records, who uh, put out my instrumental album last year, a year before, and combining it with about three new tracks in the studio and releasing that here in the near future. You mentioned the the, uh, the Instrumentals album there, which is called His Instrumentals, which is a, a great collection, so I really enjoyed that one. It's something I think you're, you're particularly strong on. What's your approach to playing instrumentals on the harmonica? Well, you know, after a long career like I've had, it, it's been hard to create a new instrumental that didn't sound like one of the ones that I had already done. 
that was a big challenge, but I think I succeeded in it. I don't know of any other uh, harmonica player that has as many uh, original instrumentals as I've I've done over the years. Yeah. And uh, so I was I felt good about putting them all on one record and making a statement with that. I, I love doing instrumentals. I like finding the head and then creating something around it. Most of those that you have on that record, they're all done in one take because I'm primarily taking a structure and working around it, just whatever off the top of my head. I hate doing more than one take of the songs. All my songs are usually one take, two takes at the most. I mean, I, I don't know of any other harp players that have a instrumental like stratospheric tune on the 64 chromatic. These are songs that instrumentals written by yourself, yeah, so they're all original instrumentals, yeah. I think you're absolutely right listening to it. They all sound very different. I mean, when you're putting together an instrumental, is there any particular secret you got to that? Are you just trying to make the head sound different, are you, and build from there? Yeah, once you've got the head in your mind to give the identity to the tune, then in your soloing, you have one part of your mind, I think, is resting on what you've already done, and the other part of your mind where you can go new territory. And then you've also got the, the soulful element of it to try to keep it soulful. Uh, you know, not make it too technical, but technical enough to where somebody want, says, oh, wow, I didn't think of doing that, and yet have enough soul to it to where somebody wants to put it on and listen to it more than once. You know, one thing you need in instrumentals is to keep the interest in the song. When you're trying to play as an instrumental as a harmonica player, I think you often feel that you lose your momentum a little bit. So to keep that going to sort of four minutes or so through a song is really important for the instrumentals. And again, I think that you do really well in the songs that you do. And I noticed that there's a few horror-themed songs on there. You've got uh, Soul Monster and Frank <laughs> and Bop and Scary Boogie and Devil's Fight. Have you got a particular interest in horror? Oh, yeah, man. I grew up uh, seeing all them uh, original horror movies uh, on Universal, uh, Wolfman, Frankenstein, Dracula, all that, you know, as a kid. Uh, I always loved those movies, still do, and uh, some of the titles are drawn from, from that, yeah. An album I, that really first introduced me to your playing the, is the Modern Masters album, which is a compilation album uh, of yours, which covers, you know, a lot of your career. Talking about a few of the songs that I really love of yours, quite possibly my favourite harmonica song is Rockin' Robin. Really love that song. Any, anything you say about that song? Uh, yeah, uh, it started, we were playing together, me and George, and George would always do a little bitty pretty one on the harp, which was an AM hit, you know, big R&B hit. 
Yeah. And uh, so I said, okay, well, George can do uh, that one. I'm going to do uh, Rock and Robin. So I, I learned Rock and Robin, and I started playing that down at the club. And then George watched me, and I, I remember the night that George got up after me, and he played Rock and Robin and looked at me like, okay, now I'm getting some of yours. You're not only getting some of mine, I'm going to get one of yours. And we were both laughing, and uh, I, I felt good about that, like I had made a, a little bit of a statement there. And it was worth covering. And now, oh, I don't know how many harmonic players have covered it. You know, it was always a great crowd pleaser. So another one I really like of yours is the Murder in the First Degree, uh, which is a great, mainly first position song of yours, uh, played on an A-flat harp. Again, I think a great example of, you know, a lot of emotion in there, you know, some, some great playing, you know, the emotion for your playing really comes through. How Come You Women Look So Good. Is that the song you wrote yourself? <laughs> yeah, I wrote that one myself. It's kind of on a fat domino kick, you know, sort of a New Orleans melody on the harmonica there. And then, and then the words, I, I don't know how I wrote it. Yeah, I love that one. It's a bit like, you know, it's a bit different, isn't it? It's not just a standard blues song. We've touched on chromatic a little bit a few times now. It's something you're really strong at. You know, you do a lot of chromatic playing. Your instrumentals haven't we talked about? I don't know how many, you know, possibly half of those songs are chromatic, uh, chromatic instrumentals, aren't they? Uh, they very well could be. Yeah, I never figured out how many was small harp or the big harp, but... I think I forged a, a style, with, especially with the 12-hole chromatic, that people have emulated over the years, you know, that swinging sort of a saxophone-based 12-hole chromatic jump type of blues. Yeah. Swing, okay. West Coast style blues, they call it now. I think you're right. It's, it's that jump style, isn't it? Like West Coast blues, as you say. Because a lot of the chromatic blues you might hear is slow blues, is that chromatic works well in those slow blues. But you definitely have a very strong playing of that West Coast kind of jumping style, which really brings a lot of energy to the chromatic. You know, in particular differences between playing the chromatic and playing the, the diatonic or the small harp, as you call it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I learned early that uh, you really had to massage that air into the chromatic. Uh, you couldn't force it like you could force that uh, small harp. You had to you had to really manipulate them reeds or they would just stall on you uh, and you couldn't get anything out of it. So it took breath control really to be able to make them reeds react, especially on a 64 and especially at any kind of fast tempo. To make them reads on a 64, especially the low notes, to get them to react quickly, I mean, that's that's a, a breath control deal right there for sure. There's not many guys that can really get around on that harp, the big harp today, or even the 12-hole uh, to, the, to the degree, I think, that I, I got into it when I was really heavy playing. Yeah, and I think that's the reason why a lot of guys 
play on slow blues, yeah, because it's it's a bit easier to manage. But if you're playing the faster ones, like you said, that you're playing, that's when it does become more challenging, doesn't it? So um, are you playing a lot of octaves uh, on the chromatic? Yeah, uh, when it, when I need it for an effect. Uh, I find myself now playing more of a uh, of a block uh, style with a bit of a discord, a la Little Walter, than I do find myself playing the big chord of George Smith all the time. I'm only using those big chords when I really want to make a statement and get fierce on it. Uh, the rest of the time, I think I'm playing it uh, with a bit of a, a bit of a discord style. And as you say, you're, you're mainly playing a 12-hole chromatic, are you, in a lot of these songs? Because that suits the faster songs. It's easier to get around on the 12 than the 64, of course, yeah. But, I mean, like Heartburn, that's that's a 64. Heartthrob, that's a 64. Stratospheric, uh, there's several that are up-tempo that are, that are the 64, you know. Yeah, and another thing that you do, which isn't so common, is you play different keyed chromatics. Uh, so as playing the B flat on the high flying babies. Uh, you know, any particular reason to do that? Just to, just to playing the different key, just get away from the usual sort of D D uh, D minor and D blues that is usually played on chromatic. It started when uh, we had a friend who worked in a music store, and he would order strange harps that nobody would buy, so he could eventually take them out of the store in the back door and hand them to me. And so I would get these B flat chromatic. Uh, and I'd bring it to the gig, and me and George would start playing on it. It worked out great, and then on the gigs, I had to back people like Joe Turner, who played every song in C, and I never really liked too much playing a high F harmonica. They didn't make a low F at the time, so you were either on a B-flat in third, or you were on that high F, and this B-flat chromatic in third gave you the opportunity to play you know, a, a, a nice-sounding harp in C over and over again. So that's why that came about. The F12 hole that I've used, that one I ended up doing one of Mark Hummel's Battle of the Blues harp shows, and uh, they had gave him a bunch of harmonicas Honer had to uh, give to everybody, and he left me out. And when it came time, I said, well, man, what happened to the harps? He says, I gave them all away. He says, I got one left. You want it? It's an F chromatic. And uh, I go, yeah, I'll take it. I got it, and I really loved the way it was pitched. And so I, I did uh, some songs on that. I think I did Devil's Foot on that. I actually have a uh, a 64 that's tuned to B flat instead of C that John Nuzo got made for me by a guy named John Infandi down in Florida. He was an old time harmonica player. He uh, he put lead on the reeds and brought it down to B flat from C, and I used that I think on Goodbye My Lover, and that's a great harp because that 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 is a 16 hole B flat chromatic. Yeah, anyone who wants to check out some great chromatics playing is uh, definitely should check out your your chromatic playing. Back to the Mighty Flies a little bit. Obviously, uh, you're married to Honey, who is who's in the who is in the band. What's the story with uh, with Honey and how and how you uh, became uh, man and wife? I was playing a gig with uh, Pee Wee Creighton. A friend of hers came backstage after the set and said, "Hey, I got this girl who can really play piano." 
I said, well, I got a piano player now, J.D. Nixon, but he's he doesn't make all the gigs. I said, bring her around to a gig. And I heard her play, and uh, I hired her back in uh, 73 or 4. I was been so lucky because her piano style probably was the biggest component, or at least as big as all the other components uh, of the Mighty Flyers that constructed the sound of that West Coast blues Mighty Flyers sound that became so popular for us in the 90s. I can't give her enough credit on that. She brought it to a, another level. So Honey joined your band then, and then how long was it before you, you got married? Uh, I think we got together in 76. Then we were living together for a number of years till 89, and we got married in 89. In fact, uh, this April was 31 years of marriage. Great. So, so what's it like then, um, you know, with the battery of your wife and your band living together, touring together, uh, you, you must get on well. Yeah, we get on real well, really, uh, really good uh, friends as well as uh, companions and lovers. Uh, musically, she has a better ear than I do. So if I was trying to learn something, she could tell me, no, no, that you're playing the wrong note there. You're a half step off. <laughs> And uh, taught taught me a lot about zeroing in and not and and the difference between having it and thinking you have it. I'm thankful in that respect, and also in the fact that when I went on the road for all them years, I had my wife with me, you know, and I didn't have to be lonely and leave her at home. Did you work on songs a lot together at home? You know, is, it, is that something you spent a lot of time playing together at home? Yeah, we sure did. In fact, uh, the song that you really like, "Murder in the First Degree," that's written by Honey. A lot of the tunes that we did uh, brought together by the blues, quite a few of them was either her writing or writing between me and her together. Great, great partnership. Uh, thinking about um, bands coming through now, you know, maybe bands starting out, any advice to up-and-coming bands? Uh, you know, it's a different environment now for these young artists that are trying to make a career in blues than it was when when we had the heyday of the 90s. Certainly, they don't have as as many clubs to work, I don't think, as it used to be. I think one thing I kept in mind as a band leader throughout the years was to keep the show interesting and realize that the whole band had something to offer and give guys in the band a chance to express themselves and keep the audience interested because you got to realize everybody's not there just to see you. If it's a band that they came to see, they want to see everybody do his thing. And so I learned that from George is to give cats a chance to express themselves and do their thing throughout the night and that way everybody's happy and playing music and keeping the tunes apart you know keeping the grooves apart not to do shuffle behind shuffle or slow blues behind shuffle and slow blues and behind shuffle but to alter the grooves especially the drum beats and to keep it interesting so that then people were there for the second set of the night you didn't play one set and everybody left and you play into an empty house the second set one thing about the Mighty Flyers is nobody left till the night was over, and I was I was proud of that. Well, a last question maybe on songs. Have you got any particular favorite harmonica tracks yourself? I loved Steady by Jerry McCain. Mm-hmm. 
I loved Sam Myers uh, sleeping in the ground, and uh, my love is here to stay. Obviously, anything little Walter did. I like George Smith's instrumentals that he did, uh, Boogieing with George. He had quite a few, like Loose Screws and. Talking about uh, your playing, you know, you obviously got this West Coast blues jump style. We talked about you developed that to some extent with Honey and, you know, her influence from her piano playing. Did you develop your style in any particular way or did it just become, you know, a morphing of what you listen to and your influences? Yeah, just the morphine of what I listen to and, and obviously Walter's playing George is playing. I think I took both of those guys and learned what I could learn from them. Wherever that ended, that became Rod Piazza and forged what made me my own harmonic player. Everybody has influences and everybody listens to somebody and takes from somebody when they start. I think your capabilities and your inadequacies combined are what make up you as an individual player. In other words, what you don't, what you're not capable of, is going to shape what your style and your end result is, as well as what you are capable of. I mean, for me, one of the biggest things that I always kept was not letting the technical part of it outshine the soul of the blues, because I was primarily always interested in being a blues player, not just a harmonica player, but a blues harmonica player. And that I think I did by keeping my instrumentals within the idiom and not turning it into something else. Did you have any particular way that you learned the harmonica? Usually, you know, listening to records, playing along, picking picking stuff up. I think that I was pretty much lazy about it. Uh, I, I didn't really grasp it at first. I, I, I was too lazy to practice in the correct way. I think once that I got the little Walter record... It really had something that was so hard to learn is when I really started putting that needle back on the phonograph and and trying to learn what this guy was doing. But it was sitting there putting the needle back on these records and trying to learn them. A good analogy would be learning how to spell before you write a sentence, you know, before you can create a, a song or a phrase, you've got to learn how to to get around on the harp and where those notes are. So like everybody, you have to put in your time. You know, the guys that say, oh, man, I, I don't listen to anybody, man. I do my own thing. Well, that, that that's great once you learn how to play. But if you haven't learned what somebody else who knew how to play better than you did to a degree, then you got no foundation to build upon. You're never going to go anywhere. Obviously, you're you're the singer, and, and you've always sung in your bands from the beginning, from the first band, The Mystics. Yeah, so being that front man, being that singer and heart player, how do you see that as, as important in the band? You know, rather than just being a harmonica player. Yeah, being the front man and trying to guide the the group in the way you wanted it to go, and obviously uh, create the overall ensemble sound. Singing 
was something you had to do when I started out. If you wasn't singing, nobody was hiring just a harmonica player. If you, if you weren't the front guy singing and had a band behind you, you weren't working. You know, when we think of all the you know the great harmonica players, most of them sing as well, yes. Yeah, because uh, in so singing, you know, you're going to pick the songs that you want to do, and they're obviously going to be songs that you can play your harmonica with or something that you like that somebody's done, and, and that particular person was singing, so you learn not only the instrumental part but the vocal part as well. A question I ask each time, if you had 10 minutes to practice harmonica, what would you spend those 10 minutes working on? I think uh, five minutes would be on something that you already know, some song that you've learned just to keep your chops fresh and keep your mouth and your ambiture up. And the other five minutes, I think, would just be on trying to create something new that you haven't played before. You know, when I pick up the harp now, most of the times I don't have an idea in my head until I start playing the harp and something comes out and I say, hey, yeah, that was something worth repeating. And then I'll go back and try to play that again. Sometimes I can play it again. Sometimes I can't. In so doing that, I think that's how you create something new for yourself and add to your vocabulary. Yeah, that, that comes through strongly as you talked about your instrumentals earlier on, that you, you try to come up with something new, yeah. I think a lot of people, and I find myself doing this quite a lot, you know, you know, might just play songs that you know of other people's, you know, other people's harmonica parts. Whereas you spend quite a lot of time trying to come up with your own new stuff, yeah? Yeah, yeah, trying to, trying to find a head that you, that you may be heard by on a saxophone record or, you know, you can't quite play the whole head, but you can take a portion of it and then elaborate on top of that and create something new. I think that's uh, what I primarily did. Uh, everybody has an idea before they start, but sometimes that idea morphs into something different when, when it's finally done. So you would start those by learning ahead on the harmonica and then you would make the music fit afterwards. Mostly that would be around a blues yeah. structure. We mentioned the embouchure there, the, the question of harmonica players love to talk about. So you were more of a tongue blocker or a puckerer or another embouchure or a mixture of the two? Uh, I would say on the chromatic, I would be playing it with my tongue on the harp all the time. On the small harp, uh, throughout the years, I primarily played it puckering about 60% and blocking 40%. But in the last two years, I've changed that to where I'm probably playing 90% with my tongue on the harp and 10% with it off the harp. There's just certain things you can't do with your tongue on the harp. So I've changed a bit in the last two years in regards to the small harp. On the big harp, I haven't changed. It's always been uh, with your tongue on it the whole time. So for most of the time you've been playing, you've, you've well, more puckering, a mixture of tongue blocking and puckering, but quite a lot of puckering at least. You get a great tone, you know, and I think a lot of people will probably guess you were tongue blocking a lot of the time. From that, you get a big sound, great tone. And switching between them, personally myself, I, I tongue block the vast majority of the time. But I find it quite difficult to switch between the two when I'm playing. I mean, I can do it, but... I'm so used to tongue blocking the, the smaller harp. So is that something you have uh -huh. on that you're able to switch between the two the two ways quite easily? Uh, yeah, that was a bit of a, a bit of a, uh, a tough way to go. In fact, I, I've got TMJ. I've had it since I've been in the 20s. That's a, a deal where your jaw clicks every time you open and close it. You know the ligaments in your 
ligaments behind your jaw get loose and i i have to i have to think that i've got that from from altering between puckering and uh and uh blocking because you have to do it so quickly and uh i i think because of that i i got that and i've learned to live with it you know but uh i think if i'd have played one way or the other it probably wouldn't have happened yeah, interesting. So maybe it's not good for your health, maybe, to switch between the two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you've done quite a lot of work as as a sideman, you know, quite a lot of session work, haven't you? you played with a lot of different people as well, um, Jimmy Rogers. Great, and you mentioned a few names there. Any particular uh, comment on how it's different playing as a sideman from being the band leader? Yeah, I, I think I'll sum it up to you. One time I went to a, a recording session with George Smith, and he was playing behind, uh, I believe it was Joe Turner. They were doing a 45, and uh, uh, when we left and we were riding in the car, I said, hey, man, how come you didn't uh, How come you didn't play more, man? You didn't, you didn't put a whole lot on it. And he, he thought for a minute, he looked at me, he said, Rod, that man don't like no harmonica. And it was yeah. kind of true, you know, Joe, Joe Turner had recorded all his stuff with a horn player, you know, a horn section. Yeah. And so George kind of had the insight to know, let me just put what, what the producer's happy with here, but not try to overpower or overshadow the song or the artist that's in front. And I think I kept that in mind in all my recordings with uh, uh, somebody else, with Jimmy Rogers, with uh, Smokey Wilson, with Pee Wee Creighton, on and on and on. Uh, to, to give them the best I could give them to augment what they were doing, not to overshadow what they were doing, you know, and, and take the focus off the, the artist and the song. Um, just talking about gear uh, now, we're going to run through a few questions around that. So the first question is, uh, what harmonica do you play now? What type of harmonica? I was playing the Herring harmonicas because uh, uh, they were endorsing me for quite a few years, and they were free. You know, that's my favorite harmonica, free harmonica, <laughs> uh, after Honer giving me the, the 50% off for I don't know how many years, but I went with them, and now uh, a friend of mine has been giving me these Honer Special 20s that he dials in, and Rich Parrish is his name, and I've been using his. And the other day, Dennis uh, Dennis Grunling, uh, he had Honer send me uh, some of these uh, Marine bands again, and uh, the I forget, the Marine Band Deluxe, I think they called. And they seem, they seem like a real good harp. I like those a lot, too. Okay. As far as the chromatic, uh, the chromatic, I still like the Herring 64 and the Herring uh, Velvet Voice 12 hole. Yeah, so Herring are based in Brazil, aren't they? Weren't they making a Rob Piazza harmonica at one point? Yeah, they did make one, and it was quite expensive at the time, $85, I think. You know, I'm, I came up when harps were 2 bucks, so it seemed ridiculously high, but I guess that's what they pay for harps now. But, uh, yeah, we never did quite get it perfect dialed in like I would have liked to have had it. Uh, 
Uh, it is a really good harp, but you've got to take a little bit of time because it's all bronze and the, them reeds are really strong, so you have to work it in. It takes a bit of time to break it in. Most cats don't have that time to break in a harp if they work in, you know, four or five nights a week. Well, harmonicas are, um, like you said, they're more expensive, but I think they're, um, you know, they're good quality harmonicas these days. I think they've done a lot to improve improve them, haven't they? you got so many guys now, I guess, that tune them in for these guys that play professionally and really make them perfect. And uh, and that's that's a big plus, you know, when that harp will, will work for you. And do you have a favorite key of diatonic? Uh, the small harp, I'd say the one I probably pick up more than anything would be the A harp. Yeah, it seems to be a popular choice. <laughs> and do you play any different tunings of harmonica, or do you stick to the standard tuning? Other than the low harps, you know, no. Uh, uh, Pierre Beauregard and and them gave me some of them magic harps 10, 20 years ago, I guess it was. And damn, they had a reggae band and a big band and a, a this band and that band, magic band. <laughs> man, I could, I could never figure them damn things out, man. And uh, I, I just, uh, Rick Estrian told me, he said, man, I couldn't figure them out either. I don't need another hurdle to jump over. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and that sort of said it all. I, I I left them alone. I'll pick them up once in a while in the garage and and see where I'm at on it. But it's just so it I can't I can't find them. Uh, and do you play any overblows at all? Yeah, I don't know nothing about that. But I, all all I know is bending them high notes up there, you know, eight, nine, and ten, blowing and bending those. But as far as blowing low, lower and bending it, no. Okay, and um, what amplifier do you use? What's your amplifier of choice? Uh, only one I ever like to play through is the Harp King, you know, and that was an amp created by John Kinder and myself over the years of me finding old amplifiers that sounded better than what I had and him making them sound like the old amplifier and on and on and on over the years and finally coming up with the rod mod and he would modify all these old amps uh, for me to have the sound I wanted and then finally he decided he wanted to make his own amp and call it the Harp King and put the rod mod in it and make it adjustable and that was back I think around 97 and uh, since then I've, I've never wanted really to play any other amp but those amps. So do you play the 6x10 or the 4x10? Uh, I have them both, and I also have the Soulful, which is the 210 model. They're all great, but if I have one amp to go to for any size of room, it's uh, it's uh, the 610, because I can play that in a very small room, man. I mean, uh, you just adjust the mod in it, and heck, you can play it in a room that's 8 by 20 or 8 by 15 even, you know. Wow, that's amazing. You would have thought an amp so big would be so loud, but you're able to get the, to really get the volume down, are you? Yeah, you because of the mod that's adjustable in it, you can you know, put the volume on, you know, three or four and set the mod correctly and then have a great tone at, you know, the volume of a champ or a deluxe or something. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, I've never, I've never tried a Harp King. I'd love to try one one day. I'll, I'll put a link to uh, to the website of the Harp Kings and I'll, uh, yeah, you say you were instrumental in in helping John Kinder design those. Um, I mean, your sound is, you know, you get a very distinctive sound with your playing. You know, it's described, it's quite a, quite a heavy, fat sound, especially on those low notes. It really rumbles through, doesn't it, the sound that you get.
lot of that down to the amp that's getting that, that sound and that's the sound you wanted to develop with the Harp King amp. Uh, yeah, I would say it's it's part of everything. As you know, being a harmonica player, it's part in your mouth, part in your hands, part in the microphone, and part in the amp. I don't think you I don't think you can walk out and buy one amp and all of a sudden you sound exactly like somebody else. Uh, I think any harp player is a combination of everything he does. Do you use the same setup when you're playing chromatic through the amplifier? Yeah. Uh, and for your small amp, you've said already, so you use a 2x10 Harp King as your small amp of choice? Yeah, it's uh, uh, the Soulful, it's called. Uh, it's 210s, 40 watts. Just a great sounding little lamp. Uh, in fact, they've, they're they really wanted right now by harp players. There's a list of guys that are looking for one, but... Uh, we haven't been able to make any, and so I'm I'm instrumental right now in getting John together with me, and we're going to build about ten of them, and uh, they'll they'll be coming out later this year. Once again, it's a, just a fabulous amp for for anybody who's playing a small gig or who doesn't really have any gigs and plays at home or goes to a jam once in a while. You know, it's very compact, but yet it has the rod mod in it and and is capable of at least least being as loud as a basement, you know. And, and microphones, what's your microphones of choice? Uh, the body would be the Aesthetic, you know, JT30. Uh, the element would be the Sure Crystal. I have a friend up here in Northern California, San Jose, Mark Overman. He goes by Big Tone Mark at Gmail. He's made the mics for me for probably the last 15 years at least. He's made the mics and given me the best mics that I use. Uh, I used to build them myself, but he's way beyond me. And he puts in the correct volume pot and the correct capacitors, you know, to level out the tonal response at any volume. And he's the guy uh, for me anyway. I always wonder where these where they get all these elements from because all of the crystal elements are gone now. But I know there's newer ones, isn't there? But uh, these guys seem to be able to find them, don't they? Somehow these these uh, these mics which work great, so uh, they're they're worth the wait in gold. Those guys, yeah. Yeah. And do you use any effects pedals? Yeah, I've been using a a digital delay for twenty thirty years, uh, however long they had it. It's just a. Uh, a digital delay, so it gives you a uh, sort of a slapback echo sound. And uh, I was using an analog delay before that, or a tape echo back in the 70s. Uh, but the tape would break on the tape echoes, and on the analog delay, the last note of the repeat would always go flat, so it would sound like bum 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 bum, and that aggravated me because it always sounded like I had hit a flat note. Uh, but when they came out with digital, the response, the repeat was uh, was clean and, and didn't vary. And so I've been using that ever since. Uh, did you know what make of uh, pedal that is? Yeah, it was a boss. A boss, yeah. So is, so is delay the only effect you use? The only other pedal I use is on a fly-in. I'll use a Kinder's AFB box, which is really the rod mod in a little box. And so you can plug into that and essentially make any amp have have the rod mod in it and uh, take your amp, your current amp, up to uh, 50% better sounding than what you've uh, what you've got with. Uh... So is that the Kinder anti-feedback, the same John Kinder who makes the Harp King amps? 
Correct. The uh, the Kinder one adds a little bit of distortion, doesn't it? So yeah, but they're they're still making them then, is it? The the Kinder and feedback pedals. It's so hard to get in touch with John. He works yeah. from like uh, midnight to six in the morning or something, and uh, he doesn't answer his phone. Uh, if you send him an email, you might get lucky, but no other pedal compares to it. Last question then, and thanks again for your time. Is um, obviously we're in this uh, this pandemic time at the moment but have you got any uh, any tours lined up later in the year that you're hoping that you know are going to be able to happen or maybe next year anything coming up that you're, you're looking to do uh yeah i'm going to return to the uh, tampa bay blues festival next april i was going to be there this april obviously um, it didn't happen so next april that's on the books uh i'll be doing that with uh the mighty flyers band uh and rusty's in uh also playing guitar with with uh, Henry Carvajal, both guitar players and Honey and and uh, and the band. And actually now we have uh, Ed Mann playing drums, who was in the Mighty Flyers back in the '80s, and he's he was also with the Big Town Playboys from uh, uh, England for a while and he's he's back yeah. in the group now on drums so he'll be with me and uh we'll be doing that next year and obviously whatever else comes along between now and then yeah brilliant any plans to come over to europe at all had quite a few offers to be honest with you uh to come for the great rhythm and british rhythm and blues festival yeah. i think that's the name of it uh several other uh, festivals in Europe, but and then at my age, the thought of getting on a plane for 13 hours, even if I was in first class, which is the only way I fly now, uh, I, I can't sleep on the plane. I end up getting there feeling so bad that I, I have I've turned down, I've turned down all the the European work. Yeah, understandable. I you played I think the Great River and Blues Festival. A few years ago now, and uh, I unfortunately I couldn't make it to see. I really wish I had made the special effort because uh, I've never actually seen you play live. But yeah, you did play there. Maybe it must have been at least ten years ago now. Um, so yeah, missed you unfortunately that time. It's a shame. Maybe I'll come out to the states and see you uh, next year. Um, be the only way. So thanks. Appreciate so much talking to you, Rod. And again, um, you know, really love you playing. So yeah, thanks very much for taking the time to speak to me. Thank you, man. Always a pleasure, baby. That's it for today, folks. Final word from my sponsor, the Lone Wolf Blues Company, providing some great effects pedals and microphones, all purpose-built for the harmonica. Be sure to check out their website.